Welcome to the Business Power Hour, hosted by Deb Creer. Join us as Deb talks with her guests, experts in their fields, as they share real-life stories and techniques to power up your business. Good morning, good morning. I am Deb Creer, and I am passionate about giving professionals the tools that they need to make themselves and their businesses as successful as possible. And today we're going to be talking with someone who is the founder of a very cool agency that helps businesses market themselves you know, anything and everything that we can do um, to promote our businesses, this organization does. And the company is Visual Fizz. But we are talking today with Dan Zagalnik. And so please join me in welcoming Dan to our program. Hey, guys. How are you? Great, great. Well, let me tell folks just a little bit about you. So Dan Zagalnik has years of digital marketing experience through his role of digital project manager and digital strategist. He has worked for marketing agencies ranging from small boutique agencies to some of the world's largest. He has worked on projects that involve the city of Chicago, major technology and financial firms, large nonprofits, Yoko Ono, Obama, and more. He is an avid traveler and enjoys exploring the world through experiencing culture, food, music, and people. So again, Dan, welcome. Thank you. Happy to be here. Great. Well, you know, I love your agency. Again, it's called Visual Fizz and with two Zs dot com. And your website is just fascinating because the foundation is that you guys really think outside the box. So start with telling us where and how and why you founded the agency. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so my mindset is, is kind of like this. There's three types of agency structures. You've got small, medium, and large. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, I think the large ones, they're going to prosper. They always have the, you know, the large corporate clients. I think the small ones are going to as well. I think the mid-size agencies are not going to last very long mm-hmm. because they're competing with the large ones. Right. So I'm a, I've been a project manager, and I've seen a lot of the inefficiencies through you know past experience mm-hmm. uh, that a lot of agencies have, i.e. very expensive meetings, uh, large overhead, mm-hmm. um, inefficiencies through you know payroll, things of that nature. And so actually after being laid off uh, among you know a number of other individuals on my team, I decided to travel through Southeast Asia for a while and start Visual Fizz. So the concept around Visual Fizz is essentially keep our overhead extremely low, mm-hmm. keep our, prod- our product very nimble and flexible, and have our workforce, uh, essentially the individuals that are working on the projects, uh, able to kind of control their own lives in the mm-hmm. sense that they can also be digital nomads, they can tend to family, they can set their own hours. I love this mentality. I don't want to work a nine to five. I generally work a nine to you know, midnight, right. uh, if I want to take the day off or I want to go somewhere else and work out of California or in New Zealand, I can. And I think that's really the, the goal with the agency is build something that's smart. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're not, you know, we're not building our clients the, the exuberant rates that a lot of the larger agencies have to bill because we're not paying millions of dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars in rent and overhead expenses. Right. You know, and, and I think that's something that many small business owners are, you know, finding more and more, you know, un- unless there is a reason that they have to have a brick and mortar storefront, you know, we can do digital. And, you know, I've, I've never had, you know, I, I founded my business 20 years ago. I've never had an office, you know, where, where people came. Usually I went to my clients. 
you know, we met in Starbucks, you know, all these various things. And of course, we meet digitally, you know, Skype and phone and, and FaceTime and all of those various things. And I love that more and more businesses are really functioning that way. Yeah, you know, it, it's great because we've actually, thankfully, we've uh, gotten a partnership for a small office. Mm-hmm. So we can just at least meet. But the beautiful part is we can exchange our work for that space. Uh, keeps our overhead low. We could bring our clients in mm-hmm. and have our meetings. But I love the digital kind of nomad lifestyle because even if I'm currently in Chicago where I live, mm-hmm. uh, if you even <laughs> knew my day where I was running around from the, you know, Willis Tower, which is called the Sears Tower, in my opinion, mm-hmm. uh, to another office to the, you know, a meeting on the river to somewhere else, I kind of thrive off of the fact that I can meet in 10 different places versus, you know, sitting at a desk uh, in a cubicle all day or office. Right. Well, and you mentioned the fact that it allows you to keep your overhead low. And, you know, and more importantly, it really gives you the flexibility to be able to work with clients anywhere and everywhere um, because it is done digitally. You know, I'm, there are times where, yes, we still have to go meet with the clients. They want to see us face to face. But in many cases, we don't ever even meet with our clients anymore. Absolutely. Uh, one of our larger clients is actually in Kuwait. Uh and we have another client in Singapore, Texas. We actually have more clients out of state than we have in state and probably about an equal number of out of country uh, versus, you know, clients in the United States. So it's a, uh, I don't think you have to meet. When I had clients in Chicago at my last agencies, I met with them once per year. Mm-hmm. And to be quite honest, I don't think that should be, a, a you know, a setback anymore because of the, you know, ease of use when it comes to all these different levels of communication that we can have via, you know, email, Skype, Slack, Basecamp, everything else that's available. Right. You know, and and the cool thing is, is as, as you said, we can keep our own schedules. We can, you know, whatever hours work best. Yes, you know, if we have to have a meeting with a client at one o'clock, we need to be in front of our computer or, you know, a, a phone or something like that. But I, that's one of the reasons why I love what I do is it really does allow that flexibility to say, OK, I am going to work 18 hours for three days straight, but then I'm going to take a couple of days off. Exactly. And and that's the beauty of it is some weeks, you know, you're you're going 60, 70, 80, 90 hours nonstop. Uh, and then you realize it's probably time for a break. And so you buy the cheapest ticket out somewhere. You keep your laptop kind of casually with you, mm-hmm. you know, in case of any fires. Uh, and then you co- you go back to that, you know, 60 hours or whatever you have to do. Right. Um, I think it's all about kind of balance. If you like working a lot, just balance it out and make sure you have some time for yourself. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, now, one of the things that this allows you to do is have some very cool team members. Um, I'm assuming that they are located pretty much, you know, in, in a variety of places. But be, but they love this flexibility. But more importantly, you can really get folks that are perfect for the projects that you take on. Exactly. Yeah, we uh, you know we hire people as far as South Africa. Uh, there are writers for you know the British English clients, mm-hmm. uh, English speaking clients. But they they do you know some of ours are entrepreneurs. They have their own businesses and they like to make some supplemental income. Mm-hmm. Some of them are you know they have a family, so they prefer being with their children and working from home. And others prefer traveling. And I don't really you know I, I don't care what they're doing uh, on the off hours. They right. could do anything they like, and that's the beauty of it is. It doesn't matter at that point. Mm-hmm. Right. They get the job done, and that's the important thing. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, I think the beauty of it is, like, when I was working at an agency, you know, there would be times when, you you know, you kind of have to be there because it's 
upon to leave before 5 p.m. And you're twiddling your thumbs and looking at Facebook. Mm-hmm. At that point, your creative juices have stopped flowing because mm-hmm. it's Friday afternoon, but they're still paying you. Right. Um, this doesn't make sense to me. Well, and your creative juices might really get going, say, Sunday morning at nine, you know, and, and, and that's so that's where you really want that flexibility. Exactly. For me, I am uh, I, I work at night. Right. So between 9 p.m. and midnight, 1 a.m., when people kind of stop emailing me and the craziness settles and subsides a little bit, mm-hmm. that's when I actually prefer working because right. I can just get straight to the you know, to what I'm supposed to be doing without, you know, the million other things that happen during the day. Mm-hmm. Right. So speaking of work. I, I love your website. I'm, I'm on it right now. It's right here in front of me. And I'm looking at the services. And it, and it starts by saying, embracing the weird, the wild, the challenges, and the things that we learn along the way. So tell us what your philosophy is as to kind of the work that you, you do. Definitely. So the big thing for us is we really, you know, we're good at what we do. We have, we have, we have a team that, that really uh, excel at their specific role. Uh, so we can do these standard SEO campaigns. We, we, have, you know, we have that capability. But really what we're interested in doing, and, and especially as we grow, uh, is more of the experiential space as well as the experimental space. Mm-hmm. So how do we experiment outside of your standard campaigns uh, and really build something that's more interesting, something, like we said, a little bit more weird, a little bit more wild? Mm-hmm. Um, and we try to take on clients who are willing to uh, explore out of that comfort zone that they're so used to with maybe some other agencies or their internal teams. Uh, Because, of course, you know, everybody can build a social media campaign. Um, But I think it really takes that extra, the extra bit of uh, creativity, a little bit of extra knowledge and a little bit of the data that um, kind of goes along with it Mm -hmm. to create a campaign, which is actually one more unique than uh, the standard million other ads that we see per day, mm-hmm. and two, something that actually converts, uh, whether you know e-commerce or services. Yeah, so because that, it can't just be cool. It, it, you have to get clients and make money. <laughs> exactly, and that's the whole experiential concept. Is in experiential marketing, um, you have you know you have these beautiful events. They they wow people. The end of the day, if they don't convert that individual, you're spending you know four hundred dollars per person who's attending on something that really doesn't you know do anything for you. It gives a wow factor for a day. Mm-hmm. So a lot of it is actually creating a, th- a more um, three dimensional approach on how you're going to con- like the beginning to the end, how we're going to do this, and then how we're going to convert it. Mm-hmm. Right. So talk to us more about experiential marketing because. You know, for especially a small business owner that is focusing on, oh, my gosh, I have to sell my widget. They have absolutely no idea what an experiential marketing campaign would be. So tell us what that means. Definitely. So experiential can mean a lot of things. Generally, uh, when people think experiential, they're thinking events or something in the physical or space. experiencing something. Exactly, exactly. But in my opinion, it's more than that. Um, it's really, like you said, it's experiencing something. Mm-hmm. So what we try to do is kind of a two-factor approach. One, is it sensory? So is it sensory marketing in the sense that can you touch it, smell it, taste it, you know, all of these things. And that's actually where the fizz comes from, from visual fizz. Because okay. uh, you, can, you can touch fizz, you could smell it, you could feel it, you could hear it, you could taste it, all these different aspects of it. Um, the second part is with, the, with this experiment uh, or experiential marketing is the emotional aspect. So we believe that um, buying 
or converting a sale is 85% emotional, 15% logical. Mm -hmm. So bringing in an emotion, whether it's, you know, happiness, sad, nostalgia, whatever it may be, bringing in an emotion into the mix of when you're trying to convert a customer Mm -hmm. uh, will help you with your sales. Now, obviously, you have to have the proper um, content, you have to have proper assets, creative stuff uh, to get them there. But truly, I think, in my opinion, if you have an ad campaign that's even through, let's say, uh, Instagram influencers and and, uh, Facebook, it can still be experiential as long as you bring them to do something. There's kind of that added ask, you know, what are they making me do or what do they want me to do and how do I do it? The more traditional term is more like the event marketing, you know, creating a pop-up store, things like that. But end of the day, same thing. You know, you really have to get a, have a specific goal in mind. For example, we want 25,000 more Instagram followers or we need, you know, 50,000 in, in sales or whatever it may be. Uh, but like I said, kind of bringing it all back to the bottom line. Mm-hmm. What are some examples of some of your favorite campaigns? I uh, I love the pop-up um, kind of environment, right? So whether it's a pop-up store, a pop-up uh, uh, like musical event, things like that, I think it's extremely interesting. It's it's innovative. I mean, I know it's been done quite a few times, but every time that I see a campaign like this, uh, it just intrigues me to um, see how much creativity goes into it. They are a lot of work, but they're you know they're extremely interesting because of the fact that there's nothing else out there like it, you know, using a space that's, that's basically uh, not being utilized right now and bringing something into nothing. Um, very, very interesting concept, but obviously that's pretty, uh, intensive when it comes to, um, you know, funding it. So this is generally something that larger companies use. Mm-hmm. I think from my end, what's almost more, just as interesting, if not more interesting are the guerrilla marketing campaigns that are launched by, mid to small size companies because you know obviously exxon Mobil and starbucks and these guys can afford to create a you know experiential campaign but really i think the smaller companies that are able to successfully create them um it, it just it just brings on so much more legitimacy to their team uh for being able to kind of create something that that's memorable mm-hmm so what if you're really small, you know, and, and, and your budget is just as tight as it can be? You know, it's, it's tricky because we know that we have to spend money to make money, but sometimes having that money to spend is, is you know, the, the biggest challenge. So how can somebody do this on, you know, very limited funds and, and make what is hopefully a large impact? I think the biggest way to do it is actually just, you know, trying to think of, and I hate this term, but I'm going to use it, the out of the box thinking. Mm -hmm. Um, In the end of the day, it's really how can you do something that's, that's creative and that has an ask. So what I've, what I've seen a lot of times with companies that are very small, that don't have that budget to just, you know, uh, create this full blown uh, billboard and everything else that may, you know, come with it. Uh, is things like utilizing some of your local printing shops and things like that, where you can print out ma- in a larger posters, maybe with a few hundred dollar budget, but having an image that's very unique, you know, something that isn't readily available, maybe something where you can have people walking on the street and you're getting them to participate. For example, we're a small business and, you know, we have our own budgets, which are, which are small because we're building our business currently. Uh, but we did a, um, a campaign, which was share your story campaign. So we asked people to share their secrets. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously nothing crazy, but things like, uh, somebody said, I eat pasta, my I eat pasta raw. 
and somebody said, I still sleep with my teddy, my teddy bear from when I was a kid, you know, mm-hmm. adult, a full grown adult, an, an elderly man was like, I've never had a cell phone. So fun things like that. And when we launched this campaign, we made sure that the people who are part of it also received something, right? So they got a, um, they got a little postcard or whatever that said, oh, make sure to visit Visual Fizz, you know, sign up for our newsletter because we're going to be posting this, make sure to share. So at this point, even though, you know, our budget is, you know, we, we did this on $30 budget, mm-hmm. uh, we were able to, I think we, I mean, between Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, I think our, uh, I, I believe probably about 20,000 people have seen uh, this campaign. And we've had uh, thousands of people like it on Instagram because we post every image as its own separate image. So, you know, small campaign, but fairly large outcome from it. I think in that case, uh, it can be something that's done as sim- simply with a camera. And generally people can use a camera. You know, it's not too hard to use a camera or even an iPhone. Right. So you basically just went around and I'm actually looking at that on the, the website. And, and you said, tell us, tell us what your story is. Exactly. Precisely. And and that's the whole point is within marketing, it's all about your story. Just because you're an individual doesn't mean you're not a brand. Every person is their own own brand and they have their own brand story. So we kind of let people out of, get out of their comfort zone right as they uh, were asked that. We said, tell us a secret. And they're like, oh, you know, this is scary. And then we kind of, you know, we talk them into it and they give some of their stories, very random ones. Uh, but it allowed uh, us to kind of humanize people that you just walk past every single day because you know we did it in downtown there's thousands and thousands of people so we stopped them and kind of let them think about themselves for a second Mm -hmm. well and then of course the cool thing was you posted these on social media and then i'm thinking hoping that what happened was they shared them with their networks Exactly, exactly. And the beauty of it, which we, you know, we probably didn't think of at the time is we should have gotten their Instagram uh, handles. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you can tag them. Mm -hmm. Exactly. We got their emails, which is great. But, you know, you learn and that's why a lot of it is within the kind of going back to that services uh, page and the things that we learn along the way. It's truly, uh, I mean, you can't expect a marketing agency or any other individual to know everything because we're learning. It's all, you know, it's all trial and error. So every time we run, um, you know, we run a campaign, we run a test, we're learning something new every time, especially when it's a campaign that's never been run before by either parties and there's nothing to really uh, go off of. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and, and it's important that you are learning from those. And we're not going to say mistakes because, you know, the, it's it, you can learn from the positives as well, um, you know, and and. And and it is tricky because things are continually changing. I mean, you know, I talked with somebody on the program not long ago who traveled to all 50 states and did videos with every, you know, he, he actually went to nonprofits and worked for a day in all 50 states and, you know, did this fabulous thing. And the technology that he used has gone away. <laughs> and yeah. so it's like, oh, you know, so it was a great idea. Maybe it'll be something that he repeats and, and does, you know, like Facebook Live or, you know, something like that. And and that's the cool thing for me as a marketing person is there are things that are new and unique uh, you know, virtually every day. In, in fact, it's it's sometimes very difficult to even keep up. It is. It, it truly is. And, and that's kind of the fun with it is that you can't just you can't just stay stagnant. You really have to learn. And that's the mentality we've tried to take on with the agency mm-hmm. is with our, with our team. If they want to you know, sign up to classes, things like that, especially as we grow a little bit and we have more of the funds to do so, we would, we're happy to sponsor the growth of our team members mm-hmm. because it only helps us. 
Uh, and same goes, you know, with myself and my co-founder and, you know, the people who are with us kind of on a more regular basis. Um, we're attending events maybe three, four times a week, whether it's, you know, anything from, from blockchain, like Bitcoin technology to uh, even simple things like brand strategy, which we already know. Uh, but we want to get more kind of more knowledge and see other people's insights because you can't know everything. So mm -hmm. I it's really about admitting the fact that you can't know everything and you ha you might learn something even if it's something that should sound or might be rudimentary to you. Right. And and that really is probably not only a challenge for you guys, but then to sell it to the client who might be going, Instagram? You know, I, I, what's Instagram? <laughs> and, and because they're thinking, you know, that, that they were going to do a direct mail campaign and you're taking them down a, an entirely different path. And and that's that's very interesting concept and, and and conversation to have with clients. It is, and you know what? And that's why we're we, like I mentioned earlier, we really want clients who are willing to experiment with us because you know maybe it's maybe it's a very institutional financial firm, uh, and they've you know they've never considered utilizing let's say Facebook marketing or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, not saying this is probably the best route, but if it was. Um, having them understand that we don't know, we, you know, we, we don't know how it will impact their business um, because, you know, it, it's their own company. We have to create a campaign around it. It's allowing them to kind of look at the data, see what we've done in the past and, and test it out, you know, because if you don't, if you've never tested it out, you, you won't really know the result. Right. You know, and, and it is interesting to explore these different things and, and um, you know, all these different technologies it's it's you know I tend to focus more of my work my efforts on Facebook and on Twitter and it's funny because I will have people come up to me and say my business would not be good on Facebook. In your opinion, are there any businesses that don't fit well with some of the various technologies? And and actually, I couldn't really think of one on Facebook that that wasn't and you know because it's you know like one of the my thoughts was well maybe not a funeral home well. That, you know, there I've I know several that are on Facebook. Um, you know, it's it's and obviously it depends on who your market is. Um, you know, if you're not if you're not trying to market to people who are using Facebook, then clearly your business shouldn't be on Facebook. But you know, are there things that you think? Well, let's direct somebody in a different if different way. I think so. Um, so it's probably pretty bad of somebody who runs a marketing firm to say it, but I don't think, you know, I don't think social media is for every single business. You know, it, it clogs the arteries of what's uh, on people's news feeds and, and it's just, it, it becomes busy. Uh, some of the, some of the companies that I think, you know, at times can prosper, but might not are, you know, like, um, manufacturing companies that manufacture very specific items that have, you know, government contracts, for example. Um, a lot of times uh, I always get bogged down with uh, individuals who are, you know, maybe social media uh, employees for um, very specific medical companies, uh, like dental offices, things like right. that. You know, unless you're providing an added benefit where you're kind of constantly rotating coupons out, you know, a, a very, very strong campaign. Yeah, I could see that. But to be quite honest, if you're posting organic posts and you've got 75 followers, a couple hundred followers, uh, chances are there are only a couple people are seeing them per day. Obviously, mm -hmm. you probably know um, with organic 
posts kind of being left in the dust when it comes to especially Facebook right. um, due to the fact that they have stakeholders now that care about, you know, money. <laughs> exactly. Um, less and less people are using it as kind of the status update type of website, more as a um, news publication, a news aggregate almost, uh, mm-hmm. as well as, you know, ads and, and, and lifestyle, whatever. Uh, so I think some companies, if they're, if they're, if the founders, or owners are doing it themselves, or they're paying kind of a hefty price for uh, social media marketing, and they're just not seeing a return on investment or their time, um, I say, you know what, try something else. There, there is something out there for them. For example, dental offices, you've got Yelp, you've got, uh, you know, um, white pages, the website, which, you know, or yellow pages. The thing is, you know, it's very dated, but it um, the concept is dated, right, of yellow pages, but it still ranks mm-hmm. and you can still get reviews. So when you have a very diversified group of reviews on these directories, on the Google Maps, like all of these different things, you're actually building up your own legitimacy and you're helping your local SEO. So I put my money in the local SEO uh, and content development and maybe building a mailing list amongst the people who are already your you know, clientele, instead of focusing so much time on social. It's just a matter of creating a a really targeted type of campaign and not, you know, trying to put your your eggs in all the basket. Mm -hmm. You know, and and I definitely see that, you know, especially with Facebook, where, you know, if if you're a business on Facebook, if you want your post to be seen, you have to pay for it, you know, and, and, and so you have to do the sponsored post and, you know, all those various things. And then the really big risk you run is annoying people. You know, because you're going to probably send it to people who haven't liked your page. I mean, that's part of what you're doing with this. And it's funny because, you know, I don't mind seeing a television commercial that doesn't apply to me or getting something in the mail that doesn't apply to me. I kind of understand that. But if I see an ad on Facebook of, you know, and, and, you know, I recognize it as an ad that really has nothing to do with what I care about. Somehow I just hit their little target market. It strikes me wrong. You know, it's just like, oh, how intrusive, how big brother, you know, because the thing that gets me is, is the true big brother stuff. Um, You know, I was getting ready to go to an area in the United States that had virtually no cell phone reception. Very bizarre. I know, you know, we like to think that the whole world has cell phone reception, but it, it didn't. And so I did a post. Now, I did it deliberate because I knew that I'd get ads. Um, and so I did a post and I said, anybody have any suggestions for some type of satellite technology that I can use? And of course, those ads with, you know, featuring those, those, that technology started appearing in my newsfeed. So it, was it a little creepy? Sure. You know, but at the same point, I bought, you know, I, I tried out one of the, the ads. I, I tried out the technology, um, you know, and, and so it's it, it is weird how on social media we still in so many ways expect it to be just social and we don't like it when advertising intrudes. That completely makes sense. And there's almost the. Um... There's almost an interesting concept around, especially when you're thinking about some of, I mean, LinkedIn, we kind of understand it's meant, but when you're talking about Instagram uh, and Facebook, particularly, because, you know, Twitter can be a little bit different due to the nature mm-hmm. of Twitter. Um, it's your safe place. And that's what I've realized. It's a safe place when you go after work or go, you know, when you're sitting on the couch watching TV to just you know, <laughs> go brain dead, you know, right. essentially not have to, not have to work, not have to think about anything. Mm-hmm. And when we're seeing these types of ads, which, you know, some are helpful in your case, you know, it was helpful. Right. Um, we still understand that it's it, it's still intrusive in a way. Right. Mm-hmm. 
especially when it's kind of like an annoying ad or it's irrelevant or it just looks poorly done. Um, end of the day, you know, well, do I look at ads as, you know, as a marketer? Yeah, I, I look at ads. I learn from ads. Um, do I click them? Sometimes if they're relevant. But I think a lot of times and what, what these companies do is they really want that awareness play where they need you to see their, uh, you know, their product in this kind of organic, safe place that you're mm -hmm. spending you know, at probably at least an hour of your day on, you know, between right. Facebook and Instagram. Yeah. And, you know, and, and so companies obviously are using it successfully, but it's tricky because, you know, one of the one of the reasons why a lot of my clients like it is it can be really inexpensive, um, you know, and 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 done right. It works really well. You know, I, I work with some nonprofits that are able to really, really expand the amount of people who know about them, who might support them, all those various things. But they're very careful about what it is that they're posting and they don't do it real often. So it's not, hey, we're here. Give us money. Hey, we're here. Give us money. Hey, we're here. Give us money. It's here's this great story of someone we helped. And so it comes back to exactly what we were saying at the, you know, earlier on. It's about those stories. It really is. And, and that almost comes down to the fact, kind of like what I mentioned, it's that it's your safe place to just go. Mm -hmm. uh, because when you're, when you're giving them just a hard sell on a product, people know you're selling. Um, that's why with a lot of our kind of more product based or service, you know, whatever it may be, but our clients, um, we really try to hone in on, what can we do that's interesting? It's either funny or fun or mm -hmm. anything. Um, but it's it, it it provides our users just some sort of emotional appeal versus like, oh, yeah, they're trying to sell us. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think from your end, same, you know, exactly, exactly what we're talking about. They're providing a story of a, of a child that was helped. Or if it's a food product, here's a recipe that actually utilizes this food product. Here, go to our link and buy it. Or whatever mm -hmm. it may be, right? Because there's a million, million different ads. Um, the concept is really, at least in my opinion, to just do something that is relevant to that individual that doesn't look like an ad. Um, that's kind of what we, you know, what you consider the native advertising. Um, influencers do it all the time, obviously, mm -hmm. influencer marketing. Uh, but it feels at home. It feels like where it should be versus, you know, those straight up advertisements with the price and buy now and all these uh, calls to actions. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, I know. I, I hate that Facebook actually lets you put in a buy now button. Um, it's like, ugh, you know, very rarely am I going to buy now. I'm, I might want to do that. Learn more, um, you know, and, and but yeah, it's like ugh, most of the time I'm really not in the buy now mood. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think at that point it's, you know, it depends on how they're targeting. If, if they're uh, doing their marketing correctly, uh, they're probably doing it because it might be a remarketing campaign where they already think you're in the mood. You know, right. they've gone through the awareness funnel. Like, like getting... the satellite thing that I was looking exactly, for. Exactly, exactly. So they know you, you're in the market. They've seen that you've already thought about it. At this point, they're thinking, hey, there's a, you know, there's a time allotment. There's a time crunch to this. They're going to buy probably within the next X amount of time mm -hmm. uh, versus kind of those stories that we like to hear. Uh, because those are more awareness and then you, you know, you're like, oh, this kind of is neat. Maybe I'll click on it. And then once you click on it, it has that call to action to, you know, get you to donate or buy. Mm -hmm. Right. And you just said something that so many people forget. And as marketers, we're like, oh, my gosh, when we see the and, and you know, I've fallen victim to it myself. And that's call to action. <laughs> you know? So remind folks what the heck that is. 
basically that's uh, yeah that's the next that's the next step you should be taking right so if you are just trying to educate your your customer you're generally trying to lead them on somewhere because uh, there's only a number of steps that or clicks or you know pages that a customer will be on or go on to or utilize until they basically say okay I'm done with these guys uh, I've read it's up to seven seconds until they just they fully decide I've read it sometimes it's up to two seconds until they decide if they want to you know make the purchase or trust the business yeah, that varies based on you know what you read uh, but the call to action essentially is the button uh, or the content that says hey land on our website somehow or go to our product buy our products uh, launch today you know start your beta test today all of these different and now you know we have so many um analyses because we could do a b tests, things of that nature where we could actually test the color of the button the content on the button so we could have four exact same landing pages uh and one button says buy now in green another one says start today in orange another one says uh begin your trial in in uh you know red and uh as marketers we really have to have that knowledge to say okay this one is actually converting us 0.3 percent better than the other ones mm-hmm. We're going to stick to that one and throw our money into the, let's say, the buy now in uh, red or whatever. Right, right. And the way that we would do that would be, say, run four different ads on Facebook that are the exact same ad. Just, you know, you're sending it, sending them to that different landing page that, that is slightly different. Um, you know, so that's that's a fairly inexpensive way to test things. You know, I've seen it done before with direct mail campaigns where they're saying, you know, go to da 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 or call such and such. You know, it used to be that people actually really picked up the phones and, and called. And so we would give different phone numbers. So then you knew, oh, they saw this campaign or they saw that campaign. Um, you know, and 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 it 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 you can get it to where it is fairly scientific. Yeah, yeah, uh, definitely. And one of the things kind of alluding to the last point was, you know, it's it's as easy as having the same exact content, different image, right? So having a mm-hmm. slightly different demographic, having, slightly, you know, a male or a female, having, you know, an image of a tree or an image of a, uh, the sun or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then beyond that, it does get quite scientific because you could utilize different promotional codes based on social medias, different Google Tag Manager posts. You know, when you're doing a um, an email campaign, kind of utilizing that conversion funnel and seeing, you know, is this email converting properly? Uh, what can I be doing? Things like that. And and even on uh, tools like Mail, you know, we use Mailchimp quite often. Um, having that AB type of structure where it'll send out, uh, let's say your mailing list is 2000. It'll send out a hundred emails to through one type of, you know, design and a hundred through another. And then the additional 1800 are sent with the better converting or better uh, click through rates type of uh, campaign, which is beautiful, you know, cause if you're getting one or 2% more click throughs based on the, uh, the subject, we're talking 20 more people that would have, We'll, we'll go on your website. And if your conversion right. rate's 5%, that's one more person that converts. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, with email, you can do different subject lines. You know, what gets people to open them? Time of day. You know, all those various things. And, of course, what happened was we, we've we now just made every entrepreneur and every small marketing person, their little eyes cross because they go, oh, my God, I don't have that much time. It's it's not that complicated, folks. You know, it just takes a little bit of planning but it might be that you want to work with an agency. Um, so, you know, we're, we're, I'm going to, you know, tell us just a little bit more about your agency, Dan, and then we'll get back into talking more about some of the, the specific methodologies and things. 
Definitely. So um, when it comes to working with small businesses, you know, I'm going to be completely transparent in saying it, it, sometimes it helps to work with an agency, sometimes it doesn't. And it really depends on, you know, your goals, the level of skill set that you're trying to, you know, basically get out of the company that you're working with and your budget. Um, if, if you're just at that startup stage, you know, generally the budget's pretty small. So maybe it makes sense to hire an agency just to do all of your branding or just to build your website. And maybe you do the social media on your own, or maybe you do your emails on your own. So the things that people are going to see right away, like a website, um, trust me, if you can get a nice inexpensive agency and we'll kind of go into the cost and everything in a sec, uh, it may be worth it to get a logo design and, 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 you know, typography and, and kind of that branding structure plus a website built out for you, uh, because that may increase your sales by X percent due to the fact that it looks very legitimate and very clean and, and all these other things. Right. Um, in other cases, uh, if you feel that you can take on, let's say social media, because you do have that time, which it does take time, um, the social, you know, maybe it's not worth getting the agency mm-hmm. when it comes to kind of the, uh, let's say couple of years in startups so they've already, you know, they may be looking at funding, they have some revenue and anything, you know, that's any, any company that's making more than let's say the, uh, the, I don't know, making enough to pay themselves at that point. Let's say that, mm-hmm. um, in this case, it probably does make sense to work with an agency, you know, probably the smaller agencies, uh, and the way that we've structured uh, the way that we work, uh, is, we like to work on retainer. Not all of our clients are on retainer, so it's it's not a you know it's not like it's the only thing that you can do. But the retainers essentially work with an hourly minimum. We like to work at least around a fifteen hour minimum, um, and generally that entails uh, whatever we find when we work with the client that they might need the most. Uh, so if they are kind of strapped with money uh, for money and they do want an agency for let's say search engine optimization, social media, da da da. We will try to weigh out our options and see what the best, um, I guess, the best goal or the most most reasonable goal is for that time mm-hmm. period until, you know, until we see some return on investment and, uh, you know, can start building out more campaigns. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some of our clients, for example, one of our e-commerce clients we have, we're on about a 35-hour-a-month retainer. Um, and so what that means is basically our, our billable rate ranges between 105 and $120 per hour, which is... Uh, uh, very competitive, I think, with the rest of the agencies that are out there generally. You know, they, they're about 150 mm-hmm. uh, to 200. Mm-hmm. Um, what we do with them is generally uh, SEO, but in certain months where we're finding we're going to go a little less SEO heavy, we do content for them. So if they have an event, we help them with a landing page for the event. And so we try to be very flexible and nimble month to month uh, to kind of... Uh, diversify our offering. So for the next couple of months, we're actually planning on uh, starting to do a little bit more influencer marketing. Uh, We're getting them on a little bit more conversion rate optimization work, uh, email automation. So we've done the initial kind of setup for the SEO. We're going to continue it. But now we really want to move into how are we going to increase sales by with existing users already, with people who have landed on the website? How do we keep them on? How do we get them, get their email address, things like that? Right. You know, and, and of course, one of the benefits to working with an agency, you know, where, wherever it is, is they have the, that knowledge, those skill sets, and, you know, they're able to make things have a consistent look and feel. You know, I can I can almost always tell when I am 
looking at a business that has done it themselves. Now, some of them do it fabulously, you know, and, and, you know, or they, you know, they, sometimes they got lucky, you know, all these various things. But when you look and, and I can tell, Ooh, they bought that logo somewhere, you know, and, and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, sometimes that works. I mean, Fiverr is, exists for a reason, you know, Um, but, you know, if, if everything doesn't flow together, that's where you you might lose people, you know. So say you're running a social media campaign and you send them to your website. If the messaging is totally different, people are like, well, wait a minute. And sometimes they don't even catch that there's an inconsistency. But mentally, there will be something that thinks, wait a minute, I'm not sure about this. Or, you know, uh, you know, they, they received an email campaign. And again, it's very different than other things. And, and some companies have made fortunes on doing that. I mean, you know, I, I, Geico just baffles me that, you know, they're, you know, companies like that. They have multitudes of different marketing that they do. And they're obviously very successful. But for the most part, things need to be consistent. I mean, you know, look at the big brands. Their marketing is exactly the same no matter what the platform is. They might tweak it a bit because maybe you're dealing with a younger demographic, um, different ethnicities, things like that. But the main message in most cases is the same. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's that's really the concept of kind of that brand continuity. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and sometimes, I mean, what we see is sometimes people just get you know, lazy or they don't have enough time. Um, if you're finding that, I mean, the best thing to have is growing pains, right? We're right. growing, you're, you're making some money. Uh, when you're finding that you don't have enough time to continue on doing one of the tasks, outsource it. Um, right. I, that's the, you know, what I've learned through running a couple of businesses and reading a lot. And, you know, I spend a lot of time reading on blogs, articles, people's stories is, Businesses grow when you're able to outsource or, or you're basically, you know, basically you're able to outsource your work. If you can give your work to somebody else to do where you're not spending the extra 20 hours in, uh, a week, you know, utilizing it for marketing, but you're actually able to do it for your own, whatever you, you know, whatever you do, mm-hmm. um, it gives you the ability to get 50% more time to do whatever you do, which means you're able to build a business. Um, and what I found with a lot of individuals who kind of don't have that mindset of, of growth and entrepreneurship is they just do what they do, right? Mm-hmm. They just do what they do and they kind of stay at this small business phase, which is awesome. I mean, I love the small businesses, but they never grow. They're kind of sitting, right. you know, they're almost, in, always kind of playing catch up almost. Exactly. I was going to say they're, they're like sitting in neutral. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You, some days you go, you're ahead a little bit. Some days you're behind, but there's not really this growth or there's not even a strategy for growth because people are just content. Mm-hmm. Well, and sometimes it's not that they're content. It's that they don't know any other way to be functioning, you know, and, and, and they are just trying to go from day to day to day to day. And and I think that is, you know, one of the biggest challenges for a small business owner is, you know, they're they're they've got their widget that they're trying to sell, but they don't know marketing, they don't know legal, they don't know accounting, all of these various things. And they get so caught up in doing those that then they don't sell their widget. Um, you know, I'm a huge fan of virtual assistants. You know, I wouldn't be where I was if I didn't have virtual assistants. Is it hard to kind of let go of that stuff? Well, for me, it is. I'm like one of those type A, I have to control every word that goes out there, people. But I love my virtual assistants. And when I gave them the freedom to do what they do best, that's when we really were successful. 
Yeah, you know, I, I agree. I think it's really, I'm the same way where I, I try never to micromanage. You know, most of our team is very, very independent in the sense that once they understand kind of what the project entails, mm-hmm. uh, I let them go with it. You know, obviously I keep a very close eye on what's going on, um, at least in the start. And then I, I let them kind of fly. Um, but it is true that you, there's always a level of quality control that you have to have, especially when, when working on an agency, because people are paying you a premium, you know, to, to, to provide them good results. Mm -hmm. And so that's why when there's any work that's, uh, created by my team members, there is someone else to oversee it. Right. I think that's the mentality that we have to have is until, you know, somebody's at a director level, because even Mm -hmm. at a director level, we all make mistakes, right? Right. At a director Mm -hmm. level, send it to your you know, we're not that big where we have the directors and different um, slews of people. But when you have a director, you know, give your work to one of the uh, the entry level people at your agency or at your at your at your work for, workplace and have them look at it because they may right. provide you with a different outlook. And it may be mm-hmm. might be worse, but at least you have that uh, you know right. diversification of, of ideas. Mm-hmm. And they might be learning something from that, so that's great. Exactly. Great. Well, speaking of learning, you know, Dan, you started this business yourself. And I always love to talk to small business owners who started their own businesses to kind of find out some of the things that worked for them and didn't work for them. So, you know, let's start. You know, one of the big things, and we've been, you know, saying it several times, is is money. How did you function at the very start when you were just kind of having to bootstrap things? Uh, yes. Yeah, so I I worked a lot. Um, before I went to Asia, my, my goal was not to, you know, worry about money too much. Obviously, it's always a concern. Uh, but... I didn't want to go to a trip where I had to count every dollar I spent. Mm-hmm. Um, so after actually losing my job, um, I, I spent about two months, you know, contracting out and working like crazy. I was probably, you know, billing out 70, 80 hours a week, uh, mm-hmm. about two months. Um, then when I left to Asia, I spent the first month barely even working. I really spent it just traveling. Uh, then I spent a month alone once some of my friends have left. Mm-hmm. And I was able to start the business. We actually got our first client before our business even launched. So cool. That's the beauty of it. So since day one of our launch, uh, the business has been profitable. And that's because of the kind of low overhead and then the way that mm-hmm. we structured it. And so every new client we bring on, it's just, you know, we, we grow it out. So, you know, of course, we're still fairly new and I'm not able to, um, you know, maybe pay myself as much as I would like. Uh, the beauty of it, at least in my opinion, is we're, you know, we're seven, eight months in, uh, we have money in the bank. Um, you know, we, we're, we're profitable. Uh, we can pay our team members. Well, you know, we could, thankfully we can actually, you know, buy, um, things like trips to go to other places to meet with clients, uh, and, mm-hmm. and explore, you know, we're, like we're planning on going to DC for a conference, things like that. I don't mm-hmm. think that a lot of, uh, first-year agency owners are able to do that. I don't know. Maybe they are. But I think the, it's just nice to have that ability where we can meet with our team members in, in a different city and then go to a conference. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, there's a lot of money to be made, and we are still uh, just at that start startup phase, too, where, where, you know, we need to grow. We want to grow. We want to gain clients who are a little bit uh, higher, ca- not higher caliber in the sense that mm-hmm. better clients or anything, but they're just a little bit bigger because the one thing I've learned, um, this is kind of going back to one of your side questions was one of my huge learnings is it takes almost the same exact amount of time to run a $10,000 campaign a year as it mm-hmm. does to run a $100,000 campaign right. or $500,000. Mm-hmm. And 
So though I love this, I love the startups and I want to work with more startups and kind of help them along the way and figure out these fun different ways that we can work together. Um, my goal is have a few base clients that are truly paying our bills and, and paying right. for my for me to eat. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think with with that, you know, I, my goal is to gain more of those uh, hundred plus thousand dollar type of clients and and grow my team out with that. Mm-hmm. Well, and I love the fact that you have that as a goal because so many businesses are just, you know, they're, they're at the, I just want to get by stage and they're never really thinking about having that big goal. Um, you know, and, and because for some of them it's, they just can't even envision it. And you know, it's like, well, if you can't envision it, how can you get there? Um, you know, and, and so I love the fact that, that you thought, Hey, this is, this is our plan. This is what we're aiming towards. Yeah, yeah, especially. And, and a lot of what we're doing is we're trying to uh, set up for fu- the future because, like I said, I don't think that agencies are going to – I mean, we've had a really good run as agencies have. Like, and not mm-hmm. me as a business, but just agencies as a whole have had a really good run for the past, let's say, decade. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and as software starts to become more um, – detailed and comprehensive and there's a lot more out there I think that's going to change a little bit I mean there's still going to be a need but it's going to change and and divert itself so Mm -hmm. actually our next uh, project as we're building this agency Mm -hmm. is we're also building a um a software as a service uh which is going to be kind of a a umbrella company of visual fizz oh cool yeah I don't think I don't think we yeah I don't think I even mentioned that um but it should be really, really interesting because this this thing is going to essentially we're going to be able to quantify how people are thinking and mm-hmm. their emotions in real time at things like events as they watch ads, as they watch speeches, all of these different things. So we're able to know how they're thinking and how they react to diff- different things. Nice. So it's it's like the next step of A-B testing. <laughs> yeah, it really is. It's actually almost uh, it's one of the few i mean there's people doing facial recognitions and there's focus mm-hmm. groups things like that like market research uh, and and i see flaws in both of those uh, mm-hmm. and so i'm hoping that what with what we're doing we're going to be able to do that and combine it with some um machine learning through you know ai uh, and, and actually be able to create some predictive analyses to help uh, you know help businesses create campaigns or help speech uh, you know s- speakers uh improve mm-hmm. their speeches and there's a lot more that goes into it obviously i don't want to you know bore you with the details uh but i think it's going to be really interesting when it comes to the experiential space cool you know and and i think that's something that you know as as we've been talking is is more and more i mean we it, we need to see and touch and you know, really experience something before we're going to buy it. I mean, you know, it comes back to, you know, it was funny. I don't know why I thought of this. The person who's buying a car has to go and kick the tires and test drive. You know, it, the the commercials online, you know, or, you know, on TV that are, you can buy your car without ever having to, to drive it. I mean, there'd be no way I would buy a car without driving it. Now, I understand that, you know, yes, you can return it with a certain period of time and all that good stuff. But I'm I'm a tire kicker. I want to see it. I want to feel it. I want to sit in the seats. And, you know, and, and that's where I mean, you know, that's experiential. That's why when you go to Costco, they're giving out food samples, you know, all these various things. People buy it when they've experienced it. Exactly. And and you know what? Um a lot of it even comes out to the idea, like, you know, there are some commercials that have had really, really bad publicity, uh, i.e. like the um, 
the what is it the uh, Pepsi commercial with the Jen right. stuff. Mm-hmm. And I thought about it, and I was like, you know what? They if they spent uh, just a little bit of money, and, and it's not an expensive software that we're building for for consumers, mm-hmm. but if they spent a little bit of money and, and ran this test. Instead of having to, you know, figure out millions of dollars of PR bubble, right. mm-hmm. they would spend fifty thousand dollars and, you know, change the, uh, <laughs> basically the, the, that one five second segment of the commercial, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, right. and they'd know when people are disapproving of it because it's all, you know, this test that we're doing is all in real time, mm-hmm. uh, and right. for re- you know regular people, and it's not, uh, you know, we're not utilizing a ton of um, machinery or anything else. It's very lightweight. What we're doing, it's all on the cell phone. So it's it's going to be really interesting because I, I'm hoping to integrate that into my uh, into Visual Fizz where we can actually start you know building those large corporate clients because of you know the analysis that we're going to be able to do. Right, right. Because as you mentioned, you know, rather than running a multi-million dollar television ad, you can do this thing for fifty thousand to then make sure that your multi-million dollar television ad isn't a bomb. Well, it would be even actually. I mean, the, the way that we're doing it is going to be so cheap that every user is going to cost. You know, I, we have to figure out pricing, but anywhere from mm-hmm. you know, I don't know sixty cents to a dollar fifty. So mm-hmm. really, if they send it out to a thousand people to test drive, mm-hmm. say this thing. It's fifteen hundred dollars, which mm-hmm. at the end of the day, even for a small or mid-sized business, is a very affordable sum of money right. when you're talking about video advertising mm-hmm. or any type, you know speeches mm-hmm. or, or events. Right, right. You know, and and I mean, we see that happen all the time where somebody gives a, a speech and it bombs, or you know, all sorts of things. And so, yeah, if they could have tested it in advance. On the non-biased, you know, one of the things you mentioned was focus groups. I've, you know, I've done focus groups before and they're supposed to be non-biased and in a lot of ways they are. But so many times the people are still thinking, I need to tell them what they want to hear. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And so then, yeah, there's, there, there goes your, your non-bias. I've paid my way through college with focus groups. I've been mm-hmm. to hundreds. Um, right. And I could tell you, I, I'm an extroverted person. So generally when I speak, it's, you know, I, I say this is what I think and why. And mm-hmm. I find that people who may have rated their product or whatever, a three or four, meaning it's bad. Uh, mm-hmm. but, you know, I thought about it. It was a three, but I really think it's maybe a little better. You know, and, and so it, there is a lot of bias. And, and I, mm-hmm. you know, I think the focus group um, industry, the market research industry, this is one of the you know preliminary ones I want to reach out to. Mm-hmm. I think that this provides a quantifiable number that says, oh, right. These people actually think that this uh, commercial at three minutes and six seconds or whatever. Well, that's a very mm-hmm. commercial, but you know, let's say twenty seconds. It's mm-hmm. a rating of forty-two percent. People don't like it, you know. Right. And the rest of the commercials at seventy-eight. People kind of mm-hmm. they they feel pretty good about it. So mm-hmm. let's just get rid of this thing and create yeah. iterations and send it to those right. people in a week and see what they mm-hmm. think. Mm-hmm. Um, so much cheaper than having you know that multi-thousand-dollar focus groups, uh, ten-thousand-dollar right. focus groups. Mm-hmm. Well, and you know, part of that it sounds like you're you're going to be able to fine tune the the demographics, the market, all of those various things. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We want to. We really. I mean, beta version one. Probably. You know, we'll see how that goes. It's a. You know, it's a software. It's not easy to build. Uh, right. But I think as we continue to build it out, we're really going to make something really great. I'm. I mean, you know, I'm just extremely excited about this. Uh, product and I really uh, love the fact that you know hopefully when it's built we can integrate it into Visual Fizz where mm-hmm. we can have you know this full service type of approach where we can tell them 
here's what you've got to fix. And, you know, we're integrating things like live surveying, meaning that, you know, if you're at an event or an expo, right away people can ask you a question instead mm-hmm. of asking you, you know, a week later by survey right. or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we want to know what people are thinking in real time. I don't care what my consumer's thinking in a week. If I can mm-hmm. get them to buy or get the, and, or get to know their, um, I guess, their, their, what they're thinking at that exact moment. Mm-hmm. Right. Because unless you ask at that exact moment, their opinion changes. You know, they don't remember it, either good or bad, you know, and 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 all sorts of various things happen between, you know, in that time frame, even if it's just, you know, I love it when I go to to say an, an all day conference and at the very end, they hand out the, the speaker ratings. And I'm like, who did I hear first? <laughs> you know? and, exactly. And, yeah. So, yeah, it needs to be immediate. Exactly. And that's exactly the, the whole concept around this It's you don't even remember anymore, you know, and that's the right. problem. We don't remember because we, you know, it's not, we don't care. It's just, you know, we're, we're humans. Um, mm-hmm. And I think this changes a lot because it just solidifies, you know, all that can be done in this experiential space. Um, and I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm so excited about this, this thing, you know, it's, it takes some time to build out, but uh, I think it will change um, experiential marketing. Cool. Well, I hope to to have you back on when we can talk about it in more detail. Yeah, I'd love to. Great. Well, Dan, we've only got a couple of minutes left. So say somebody comes to you and they're just lost, you know, whether it's that things haven't been working or they haven't even known where to start. What do you tell them? You know, I like to sit down with them or, you know, have a call or whatever it may be to to just talk about where they're at uh, as Mm -hmm. a business, you know, see what the difficulties are, see what their plus side is, see what they're doing. Uh, their target market, you know, I try to get as much information out of them as possible so that we can create a, um, at least an approach for them. Uh, you know, we have, we have done a number of, uh, strategies for our clients where we've, you know, written out the whole thing, uh, and they can bring it out to their angel, you know, to the angel investors they want or for mm-hmm. themselves or for their team. Um, it really depends on the business, uh, in many times because, and the, and the founders and, you know, the team, because if right. you don't know really anything at that point, then what, you know, what, what are you doing? You should sit down and read some, you know, read some articles. Um, that's my honest, my honest opinion is you right. definitely know what, what you're doing, um, before going to an agency. But when it does come to say, you know, saying, Hey, I don't know what to do for my marketing because I feel like I could do a better job. I've tested this out. It's not really working. That makes it a lot more clear, right? If you have, if you have an understanding of who your market is, potentially, you know, they're, they're males, they're 35 to 50, at least give us that information so we could mm-hmm. talk and say, Hey, you know, maybe, maybe they are, maybe they aren't. But it, I would say learning from the, client, uh, mm-hmm. and then actually testing and seeing if what they think is the target market is the target market. And, mm-hmm. you know, utilizing kind of all of our resources, uh, doing competitive analyses, things like that. So I would say first thing, we would like to do a strategy. We understand that not all businesses have the budget to start with a, you know, 15 hour type of strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, but if not that, then just utilizing some sort of test um, and seeing what, you know, maybe they have done or just trying it out on our own and, and, and providing them with uh, the report and the results that they need to, uh, you know, they could learn from. Great. Well, we've only got a couple seconds left. So tell folks how they find you online. Yeah, uh, you guys can visual. Uh, oh, my God. You guys can visit us at visual dot <laughs> com. Just visual like with eyesight visual fizz f i z z dot com. Uh, we have a publication where we write our blogs. It's visual and revolt at R-E-V-O-L-T.com. 
or obviously feel free to shoot me an email at, uh, let's say hello at visualfizz.com. It's probably easier than spelling my last name out. So hello at visualfizz.com. Perfect. Well, I really have been having a great time talking with you, Dan, and I hope that folks have learned from this, you know, whether it's that they're starting up a business or should they work with an agency or, you know, what it would be to like to work with an agency and more importantly, the things that you guys do. Yeah. You know, I think it doesn't hurt to ask. My mentality is right. always it, just ask, you know, send an email, see if you're ready. Uh, right. and, and we're very candid if we can't help you because uh, whether, you know, our, our vision doesn't align, whether you don't have the budget, we'll, on, we'll honestly tell you, we're not going to want to tarnish your or our name based on, you know, um, making, making a few dollars. It's really about building a long-term connection. So I would say, uh, you know, contact us, contact a different agent, whoever, a different agency, contact a marketer or freelancer mm-hmm. and get that information that you, you know, you need to make that next step. And, and if you want, you know, feel free to shoot me an email with uh, information, you know, with here's our revenue, here's our team, this is what we're doing so far. And I'm happy to, you know, hop on a call and, and just say, yeah, this, this looks good. Let's see how we can, you know, work together or at least how I could help you. I'm always happy to help, uh, you know, different entrepreneurs. Perfect, perfect. Well, I have been having a fabulous time talking with Dan Zaganlik from Visual Fizz. I am Deb Creer, and until next week, everyone have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Business Power Hour, hosted by Deb Creer. Join us next time for more real-life stories and techniques to power up your business. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.